Uh, Pope Francis, when he opened the so-called Synod on Synodality back in October of 2021, he quoted a notoriously progressive, one of the modernist infiltrators at Vatican II, Father Yves Congar, and talking about, we don't need a new church, but we need a different church. Well, that's not what our Lord says in the gospel. He founded one church, the Catholic Church, to last until he comes again in glory. Hey, my friends. Um, there are very few media organizations that are worth paying attention to. I hate to say it, but it's true. Um, and in addition to LifeSite News, if you don't know yet about Catholic Family News, you should. Catholic Family News has been around for a long, long time. Um, the, is John the founder? More or less. He was the first major editor. Major editor. Of the John Venari was a good friend. He, he um, passed away, uh, but uh, he was a real fighter. A real fighter, always jovial, making a joyful calls. warrior. Indeed, indeed. And um, Matt Gaspers uh, is now uh, one of the men in charge of it. And uh, want to introduce you to him. He's got some really neat perspectives on the battles that we're facing right now. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Hello, friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 of these brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Now, each round is stamped with the image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, LifeSite's logo surrounded by a brilliant sunburst and draped with olive branches. They, of course, commemorate our 25-year anniversary of LifeSite News. We began in 1997 in September, so September of 2022 was 25 years. These one ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. Matt Gaspers, welcome to the program. Good to see you again, John Henry. So let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So Matt, we are here at the Catholic Identity Conference literally at the beginning of October, the month that will launch into what threatens to be one of the greatest calamities of the church in terms of going off kilter. It's not like for the last decade we haven't gone off kilter, we have, but this threatens to be uh, a real watershed moment where it seems as if, you know, if it hadn't been bad enough already for the last decade, that it might get all of a sudden a lot worse. Your, your take on it. Well, as I recall, uh, Pope Francis, when he opened the so-called Synod on Synodality back in October of 2021, he quoted a notoriously progressive, one of the modernist infiltrators at Vatican II, Father Yves Congar, and talking about, we don't need a new church, but we need a different church. Well, that's not what our Lord says in the gospel. He founded one church, the Catholic Church, to last until he comes again in glory. We don't need a different church. What Pope Francis seems to be trying to do is is to make some sort of a counter church. You might even say an anti church. Uh, what what Archbishop Vigano has called in his writings a parallel church that's been imposed on the true Church of Christ since the Second Vatican Council. And Pope Francis seems to be, as Professor Roberto De Matei has said in the past, the ripe fruit of the Council and really bringing things to a head, bringing everything to its awful fulfillment. 
I think that's what we're seeing with this synod on synodality and some unprecedented errors that are going to be uh, discussed and possibly enshrined, you know, as much as they think they can. Uh, it may be imposed on the faithful might be a better way to put it. Obviously, even Pope Francis can't change the deposit of faith. He can't violate that. Uh, he can try, I suppose, and his, his friends, his allies in the hierarchy, but uh, we know that Christ will prevail in the end, but we have to do our part. Um, as I see, you know, the importance of faithful Catholic media, we're kind of like the watchmen of Ezekiel 33, where the Lord said to the prophet Ezekiel, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, I want you to be my watchman. I'm setting you as my watchman on the Tower of Israel. And when you see the invading hordes coming, which we could interpret as the the innovators, the the progressives, the modernists at the synod, you need to warn the people about what's coming and tell them to to arm themselves with the weapon of truth. That's the first thing St. Paul mentions in Ephesians 6, to gird your loins with truth. Um, and our Lord emphasized that over and over in the Gospels. So mm -hmm. that's how I see our role in, in Catholic media is to be those watchmen on the tower. Wow. There's lots there. Uh, one of the first thoughts that occurred to me was you when you mentioned Professor DeMate, he said very interestingly about the Pope being the Pope sort of of two different churches, because it does seem like we're having two different churches. Um, and that always reminded me of the prophecies of Anne Catherine Emmerich, where it talked about the creation of a false church that she saw being built up. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and I, just to draw again from Archbishop Vigano, I know he talked at actually at this conference, I think two years ago, maybe. Yeah, I think it was two years ago. He talked about the church being eclipsed uh, by this false entity that Pope Francis seems to be at the head of and eclipsing the truth, the beauty, the goodness of the true mystical body of Christ through his errors and through you know, his words and deeds that are leading people astray. So I definitely agree with you that I, we are seeing some sort of a false church come into being. Um, but as I said, it's not going to overcome the true church. We know that Christ will, just like he was asleep in the boat with the apostles, seemingly not caring about what was going on. But uh, as soon as he woke up and they said, are, you know, do you not care that we're drowning? He calmed the storm and... Uh, said, why did you doubt ye of little faith? So we have to, in these times, I think our Lord is calling us to a heroic degree of the, the virtue of faith, uh, faith, hope, and charity. So here's a, here's a question for you. So it's kind of like a where do you think we are? Because St. John Eude said that when our Lord is truly angry, you can the the most evident sign of his displeasure or the worst punishment he can give is sending us bad priests. Yes. And uh, we we've got that in spades now, in in the person of the Pope himself, in in many 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 cardinals, bishops, and priests. And I'm not even talking about the sexual abuse scandal or anything like that. Right. Just in terms of heresy. Um, so. Do you think we're already at a turning point in terms of that punishment is enough? Or do you think we're going to see more of a traditional for, sort of physical calamity before we get a cleanup in the church? Everybody knows, and I believe fervently, that the triumph of the Immaculate Heart is coming. 
there's hope coming. But will that hope come, in your opinion, after a calamity of more gravity than we saw with, let's say, the First and Second World War? Or will it come sort of after sort of this um, spiritual calamity that we're going through with heresy rampant in the church? Well, I tend to look at all of this through the lens of the message of Our Lady of Fatima, as I'm sure you do as well, and just thinking about the the vision that the Vatican released in the year 2000 about the you know the bishop dressed in white walking through a half-ruined city full of dead bodies of clergy and laity and people on their way to be martyred and such. Um, you know that could there could be a spiritual meaning to that as well, but I think it you know in light of other prophecies, it could very well be a literal physical chastisement. I don't think that's out of the question. Um, and then also, of course, we know that there's a missing uh, part of Our Lady's words that we really need. Um, uh, the first secret of, of uh, Fatima was the vision of hell, and the, the children clearly knew what they were seeing, and yet Our Lady still took the time to explain to them, you have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. So it seems ludicrous to believe that she would show them this much more difficult vision to decipher without giving them what, what our friend Chris Ferrara calls the soundtrack to the vision. You know, <laughs> she, she had to have explained what was going on to them. She couldn't have just left it with that vision. So we know there's something left. And we know that it begins with the words, in Portugal, the dogma of the faith will always be preserved, etc. So we need to know what that etc. says, I think. So that's a really disturbing statement. Why? Because when Portugal went pro-abortion, I thought, oh no, what can that possibly mean? Because it says, in Portugal, the dogma of faith will always be retained. It's like when Ireland went first pro-same-sex marriage, then pro-abortion. St. Patrick sat on that rock forever to get the promise from our Lord. But our Lord also says in the scriptures, when I return, will I find faith? Like it's a question. Right. So <laughs> the, those, you combine all that, it, it starts to paint quite the uh, reality check for us. Um, yeah. It, how how bad could it get? I remember talking, this is now four years ago with Bishop Schneider, maybe five, um, and I asked him, uh, you know, for what should we do? What's the best thing we can do right now with our kids, our families and home and whatever? He said to me, prepare your children for martyrdom. What's What's your sense of things upcoming that way? Yeah, I mean, I think we could very well be facing some very challenging times in the near future, spiritually, of course, but also materially. And we should prepare accordingly, kind of as Noah did with his family at the prompting of the Lord. Um, I think one thing that we definitely need to do uh, is be forming our children in the truth of the, the faith from solid, you know, reliable resources, because ultimately what we face uh, what's what's been the case from the beginning is a battle of of the truth of God versus the lies of the devil, and then through his uh, intervention, the world and the flesh giving us the same problems. So 
we need to be teaching our children the faith from solid sources. Um, and speaking of Bishop Schneider, he has an excellent new resource in that regard that not only deals with the faith in general and, um, you know, the the sacraments, the commandments, all of the, the meat and potatoes of the faith, but he also addresses a lot of contemporary errors, and it's a very helpful resource in that regard. The the book there, it's called Credo. Give us the full title, if you will. Credo, Credo. Compendium of, Catholic, of the Catholic Faith by uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Now, this, as you've described it, is a is a work that's akin to the old Baltimore Catechism, a very readable Q&A format. But as you were saying, it, it sort of is updated with all the modern problems and errors and things. Let me just ask you, for instance, um, with one of the big things that we're undergoing right now is the whole question of women's ordination, because it's one of the big things that they're saying the Synod might open up the door to that. You've had all sorts of cardinals and bishops saying that, oh, yes, we're going to have that. You've had the Pope hint both ways. Um, what does it say in there about that? Yeah, he actually has a, a whole section in here devoted to that very subject in the chapter on holy orders. So it says, impossibility of female priesthood. Now, some of them, that's only being pushed by probably the more extreme uh, elements in the church because even moderates recognize that's simply impossible because our Lord instituted a male priesthood because they represent him who is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. So what do you have? What happens when you have a female in the role of the priest? Well, basically you have spiritual lesbianism going on, which is <laughs> obviously not okay. But thankfully, Bishop Schneider even addresses um, the issue of them becoming deacons. So he, he asks, may women nonetheless receive the order of deacons after he's explained they cannot become priests? And he answers, no. The sacrament of holy orders is one sacrament conferred in three grades. The sacramental ordination of women as deacons would therefore contradict the whole tradition of the universal church, both Eastern and Western, and violate her God-given order since the Council of Trent dogmatically defined, and then he quotes from the, uh, from the council, the divinely established hierarchy is made up of bishops, priests, and ministers. In other words, at least also of deacons. And then, of course, there's the minor orders traditionally. But that's, this is a, such an excellent resource because he quotes like that very often from, you know, church councils, traditional catechisms, uh, papal documents, so it's and it's got a whole section of endnotes at the end for all of the citations. He also addresses the the hot button issue regarding in the context of this, you know, weren't there deaconesses in the ancient church? That's something we often hear. And he's and this is also coming from a man who has his doctorate in in patristics, the church fathers. So he knows what he's talking about. He says, for the first five centuries of the church, there is no trace of so-called deaconesses in the West. And although the term does not appear in the East, these women clearly did not receive the sacrament of holy orders. The deaconesses do, do, the deaconess does not bless, and she does not fulfill any of the things that priests and deacons do, but she looks after the doors and attends the priests during the baptism of women for the sake of decency. The deaconess was evidently not a woman exercising the office of deacon, but rather a completely different ecclesiastical function. Yeah. So, yeah. Very, very clear. And thanks be to God, we have resources. And I think a lot of this is so great because in earlier times in the church, 
you had, thank God we had Baltimore because that really did make still a foundation. And I mean, I raised my kids on Baltimore. I was raised on Baltimore. And it's interesting because without that, we would have been in real, real big trouble. And now we have a similar thing updated to our current crises, which they couldn't have imagined the hell that we'd be in right now. So thanks be to God that's there. And, and his name is Athanasius, which in religion, I think that's so phenomenal because <laughs> truly, truly so. Um, let's hit one more because, I mean, this is another one of those hot button issues that really the synod's bringing out. What does he say about blessing of homosexual unions? Yes, yeah, so let me see if I can find that section real quick here. So I don't know if he's, I'm still working my way through the full text, but um, I know he definitely touches on the you know, sins of unnatural vice, gender ideology definitely touches on that. So I do have a, a couple of questions and answers I can read. This is in the, the section three on the commandments. Um, and he says, what of Catholics who are publicly known to commit such sins, basically sins against the sixth commandment, Catholics engaged in open adultery, cohabitation, pornography, homosexual lifestyle, or political activism for such causes, for example, the so-called LGBTQ plus agenda, must be regarded as public sinners. And until they have repented and been reconciled to the church, they must be denied Holy Communion by any minister of the sacrament. And he goes on to ask, isn't this discipline overly harsh toward sinners whom our Lord invites us to love? So he's kind of playing the devil's advocate in the book. And he says, no, authentic love is inseparable from truth. And the church is obliged to honor our Lord in the Eucharist and save the public sinner from eating and drinking judgment unto himself. Obviously an allusion to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Beautiful. Yeah. They, so, I mean, obviously there's a treasure uh, in there for for the whole church. Just put out, by the way, just released by Bishop Schneider. Um, and uh, very much encourage you to get it. But there's another thing that we've been discussing that they didn't have in previous years that is here now. When the Second Vatican Council came about and you had this Council of the Media, as, as they called it, which was different from the, the actual council and so on, and Ratzinger makes a big deal of that, there is some truth to that, but you really didn't have, um, especially after the mass came out, uh, the new mass came out, and basically it kind of seemed to do away with the old mass, and you had just rampant insanity everywhere. You didn't have a Catholic media that was reporting that. People didn't know for years what was going on. Now things are totally different. We have been blessed with Catholic media, instantaneous media, um, so that people all get to see what's happening. For a lot of people, it's very confusing, and it's leading them astray, whatever, whatever. But for those who have the ears to hear and wish to, they can see the truth of things in a way that's just stunning. Bishop Schneider's been very gracious with his you know, willingness to come on and be interviewed on all these crazy things, including, the, I mean, he could be, you know, his, his head lopped off, if you will. Uh, but no, he'd rather answer to God than man, including to the Pope, uh, you know, so he's willing to do that. But that role that you talked about with regard to Catholic media today, very, very important, very essential. What gives you the 
encourage the willingness to go into that area, which is it's fraught with a lot of, you can get in trouble with it, not only with the church uh, and a hierarchy that's unfaithful, but also with your family. Well, I think of the words of our Lord in the gospel of St. John, where he talks about, you know, if you uh, remain in my word, you will be my disciple and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth is not always pleasant, especially in our times and especially within the life of the church at this time, but it is still freeing to know the truth and to be able to spread the truth, to be able to be a part of this remnant you know, this remnant of, of faithful in this time to be a watchman, like I said earlier from Ezekiel 33, is really an honor and a privilege. It makes me think of, uh, certainly not worthy of it, but uh, hopefully be found among the uh, apostles of the latter days that Our Lady, or excuse me, that uh, St. John, not St. John, St. Louis de Montfort, yes, talks about in the True Devotion to Mary that she's going to raise up in the latter days this army of faithful who have the, he says something like, you know, carry the crucifix in one hand and the rosary in the other and and are proclaiming the truth of God with boldness and, and bringing souls to repentance and conversion. Because that's ultimately, you know, our job in the media, in Catholic media, is not only to, obviously we need to report the facts accurately, but we also need to be as I see it, using these news stories as a catalyst or a springboard for teaching the faith, because that's it's been so neglected, and it still is even at the average parish. So I think a lot of people look to our apostolates as being, you know, catechetical apostolates in addition to simply reporting the news. We need to be faithful, zealous Catholics, continuing our own formation and, and reading and studying the faith so that we can hand it on faithfully. What I find truly beautiful about that is that the news provides an interest hook to bring people truths and evangelize that you know few other things could do. I mean, the 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 uh, cell phone and whatever uh, smartphones have made news a complete addiction anyway, <laughs> but you can use that in a way to get them to that same news, but from a Catholic perspective, from a perspective of truth, where they're not just going down a rabbit hole of just insane entertainment that takes them nowhere and probably harms. Right. Um, but you actually give them something good uh, with, you know, they're, they're still satisfied in terms of getting, oh, I need to know what happened. No, I know what happened, but now I know what happened and I know the answer for it. It's a beautiful opportunity um, and a great opportunity to evangelize. Um, the last thing I'd like to ask you about is where... Um, where now? <clears throat> we have the Synod coming up. We're going to be wherever we're going to be after the Synod. Big question around what is Pope Francis? I, that issue has gone around the church right now. It's We've had a couple of bishops out, both retired, of course, saying that he's not the Pope. Um, the preponderance obviously saying that he is, but uh, major figures now starting to question, including Archbishop Vigano, at least talking around the issue. He's never said so. In fact, he said he is, he thinks he is Pope. Or, but there is a big debate right now. And, um, you know, we've been very public with our position that we're honestly don't know. All we know is that, you know, the saints have debated it. Bellarmine seemed to be convinced that a Pope could lose his uh, papacy for heresy. 
what does that mean even? It's very, very complicated. I know that Archbishop Schneider has a very uh, definite position one way. Um, his own superior, Bishop Jan Pavalenga, takes the opposite tack. It's the most confusing thing, and it's just about to get more confusing uh, with the Synod. Um, where to for Catholics after the Synod? Well, my first thought is that, as I said earlier, Pope Francis, you know, he's recognized as the, the Vicar of Christ, the Roman Pontiff. But even in that role, as, as Bishop Schneider does an excellent job explaining in his new book, um, authority, even in the church, has limits. The, the Pope, as Benedict XVI said, is not an absolute monarch whose will or thoughts or desires are the law. He is bound by the divine and natural law, by the deposit of faith. Um, and if he tries to change something that's truly unchangeable, we simply cannot follow him. As St. Robert Bellarmine talked about, we, we recognize him, but we resist what he's doing. We don't follow if he's trying to lead us astray. Um, so I would say we need to prepare ourselves for the, the possibility that there could be a formal schism in the church. I, don't, I think that's a very real possibility, depending on what happens at this synod. If you could tell us, what does that look like? So, for example, like we talked about um, female ordination, you know, some, that's something that's non-negotiable. And if they were to push it and say, okay, we're now going to start ordaining women, which uh, sadly, you know, the Anglican communion started doing that and lots of other Protestant denominations do that as well, that, con that um, violates the deposit of faith and we wouldn't be able to go along with that. Even if the Pope says it's okay, just because he says so doesn't make it true. You know, even he is bound by what, what the church has always believed and taught and, and preached throughout the ages. So I think we need to be ready to say, you know, I stand with the church of all time. Like St. Vincent of Lorin, a great church father, talked about we, we need, in times of con confusion, like he was talking specifically, I think, about the Arian crisis in the fourth century, we need to cleave to antiquity and believe what has been, we need to hold what has been held always, everywhere, and by by everyone, you know. Um, so it's definitely not outside the realm of possibility, in my opinion, that Pope Francis could, as he himself has said, I think, that he could be the Pope that causes a schism in the church. I w it would not be surprising also to me. the one who rejected the title of the Vicar of Christ as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Matt Gaspers, thank you so much for being with us. Matt Gaspers of Catholic Family News. Be sure to go check him out. And God bless you, and we'll see you next time.